0: you're listening to the liam photography podcast i'm your host liam douglas and this is episode 389 for thursday february 8 2024 and in today's episode i thought i'd bring back some news and rumors for this week so that on occasion i can let you know what is going on in the camera and photography world now if you recall Back in November, this is from Canon Rumors, Richard from Canon Rumors talked about a sensor that Canon was going to show off at IEDM, or the International Electron Devices, meeting in December. We haven't heard much about that until now. When he talked about this twisted sensor back in November, his thoughts on it were that it was quad pixel arrangement to support better AF in horizontal and vertical directions. Now, he writes, you may tell me, Richard, the title is clickbait. Well, perhaps new information has recently surfaced about Canon's presentation. And reading the sensor descriptions in the two articles, this is is very much an I don't know what it is kind of thing. Canon specifically mentions that autofocus in various orientations and edge alignment improves with this new sensor, and that they, quote, twisted the photodiodes to accomplish this. They mention that the pixels are rotated 90 degrees from each other, which traditionally indicates a quad pixel arrangement. And they call this in the article being twisted. Canon describes this sensor as a cross dual pixel twisted photodiode sensor. So even Canon calls it a quad pixel sensor and not a a dual pixel sensor and not a quad sensor. So that's why you got that title and where we are on this entire subject. Now, Canon did show off a diagram at IEDM, which illustrates how much better the new autofocus can see lines at various angles versus the more traditional DPAF sensor. The far left column is the item being imaged The middle is with the new twisted sensor and the far right column shows the autofocus output from a traditional DPAF sensor. And you can see the the images on this article on Canon rumors. You can see that with a regular dual pixel AF sensor it simply can't recognize some of the lines at all. But that's not the case with this new sensor. The more the AF can recognize, the more it can do pattern recognition and autofocus, and the quicker it can do its calculations. Now, Canon also claims that this sensor is much quicker at autofocus than the current AF sensors, even with increased data reading. Canon suggests that it could be almost twice as fast as the current sensor models. Now, we are lacking any more information on this, to which Richard says he's very sad. I would have loved to see if they are actually twisting the photodiodes for improvements or just use that terminology as a catchy phrase. And he was telling Craig that he tried for a week to get his dirty little hands on that white paper without any luck. Now, we talked more about twisted photodiodes in the prior article. But just a refresher, the difference between a twisted photodiode and a regular one is the small layer on top of the photodiode in the above picture called TBG. Now, in this example, it's a twisted bilayer graphene photodiode. We don't know if this is what Canon is doing, but it should be something similar. This is research. We don't know when Canon will implement, if ever this new sensor, but it stands to reason that if Canon is talking about it publicly like this, they have a high degree of confidence in the solution. No one wants to look like an idiot in front of their peers when Canon presented it at IETM this past December. So definitely some interesting information on this new possible sensor design and what its capabilities might be. But for now, I guess all we can do is speculate and see if this new sensor design with this new AF system will actually bear any fruit. So now it's a waiting game. (laughs) Think Tank Photo has announced the release of version two of their mirrorless mover series of camera bags. Now, I currently have the original Mirrorless Mover 30i, and I totally love that bag. It has tons of space for a day out shooting street photography, and the design and materials are extremely top notch. Now, the bag has room for extra batteries and memory cards, as well as a camera body and a couple of lenses. And the YKK zippers make for a way to secure your items that will last for a long time as they are ultra durable. The front flap on the bag has magnets to allow it to close and stay secure when out and about. And the bag just plain looks sleek and sexy. Now, if you happen to be out shooting in slight rain, no worries. The bag is water resistant. And should you encounter an actual downpour, they even provide a nice rain cover for the bag as well now updated from their popular mirrorless mover series with four new and exclusive two-tone melange colors increased front pocket volume with added organization features additional adjustable uh, dividers provide a more customized fit for your specific gear combination the new bag is designed to carry and protect modern mirrorless systems the removable shoulder strap and belt pass-through easily converts the bag to a belt pack. The flip-top lid with magnetic closure provides quick access to your gear. And again, they're using the high-quality RC zippers and metal hardware. You can easily access dimensional front zippered pocket and accessory organizer. It has a dedicated, clear, secure card slot for CF, SD, XQD, or micro SD cards. Stretchable and gusseted side pockets for accessories. Additional storage pocket for batteries or compact accessories under the lid. It includes a key, hook, and lanyard. A grab handle on the lid. The DWR treated fabric protects against the elements. The seam sealed rain cover is included once again on this new generation. And the new colors for the version two of the Mirrorless Mover series come in cool gray, coast green, marine blue, and campfire orange. Now, I personally ordered mine in the new Campfire orange color just because I thought it looked pretty cool, and I thought it would be uh, something different. The first mirrorless mover I bought in the gray, um, so I figured I'd get this one in the orange just to make it easily easy to tell them apart at a quick glance when they're hanging up here in, in, in my home or in the studio. So, I'm definitely excited. Mine is supposed to be arriving later today. As I'm recording this, it's Wednesday, and of course, the episode will release tomorrow. So I'll have to update you guys next week on my thoughts on the new design. But I have a feeling it's going to be every bit as great a bag as the original mirrorless mover series, which again is one of my all-time favorite camera bags. And now for some rumors from Fuji Rumors on the X100 or VI, however you want to call it. Now, this information comes from Patrick at Fuji Rumors. Now, he says he's been asked about the Fujifilm X100VI price in euros. Well, according to our trusted sources, it will be 1,799 euros. And one more thing regarding the price in dollars. He had told you recently that according to a news source, it would cost $1,599, hence $200 more than the X100V. And he also asked you to take that with a grain of salt for now until he can confirm by his normal trusted sources. Now, given that the price in euros will be $17.99, the U.S. price of $15.99 is definitely realistic. Now, just to let you know, um, he did yesterday, post a video on his YouTube channel saying that one of his new sources, um, this is a newer source, not one of his long-term trusted sources, but hopefully somebody that'll become one of those kind of sources. And his new source so far has been 100% accurate on everything he shared with Patrick. The new source is saying now that the U.S. price for the X106 will actually be seventeen ninety-nine, which means in euros, it would be even higher, like or $2,000, $2,099. But again, we'll have to wait and see. Now he has here as a reference, the XT5 costs $16.99 in the U.S. and $19.99 in Euros. And the XH2 costs $19.99 in the U.S. and $22.49 in Euros. So just to give you an idea of the difference in price between the U.S. and if you're in Europe. So there is this $250 to $300 difference between the U.S. and euro price. And if confirmed, there would be a $200 difference between the U.S. and euro price of the X106. But an anonymous source who decided to use a nickname uh, gave him a different price in the U.S. As I mentioned a moment ago, he is now checking on that information and also the rest of the questions that everyone has sent him and he will share an update on fujirumors.com. And if he cannot confirm the price in a reasonable time with his trusted sources, he will share the one given to me by the new anonymous source anyways. Uh, It's just usually when he needs to correct a potentially wrong rumor, he likes to be 100% sure that the correction is 100% the final word on that particular rumor that's why he takes a bit of time to try and get it confirmed by trusted sources. Now, just to let you know, if you if you haven't already heard on the show before, Patrick of Fuji Rumors does have the highest uh, accuracy rate for rumors on his site. I think his accuracy rate is like 98 or 99%, um, where some of the other rumor sites have considerably lower accuracy on their rumors, and as a result, probably less reliable sources. So, Just to let you know that. Now it could also be that both sources are accurate. Just one source got a more updated information than the other, and this does sometimes happen. Uh, Fuji really loves to change its mind on the pricing a couple of times before they actually release new gear. And actually, it also happened that Fujifilm has made rapid changes shortly after an announcement. For an example, with the Fujifilm. Uh, X70, which was launched for $799 just a few days after launch. While it was still on pre-order, Fujifilm lowered the price to $699. Now, there have been some low-resolution pixelated images leaked that supposedly show the new X106. Um, Whether or not they're accurate or realistic, it's hard to tell, but just to let you know, And it shows that there is no D-pad on the back of the new camera, as well as a new logo, possibly a Bluetooth one, near the display back button. Now, as a final note, the new camera will sport the same NP-W126S battery as the X100V, which makes sense as the only way to put the larger NP-W235 battery for like the X-T4 in, they would have to seriously increase the size of the camera body itself, which would totally kill the compactness of the camera and it would no longer be part of the true X100 line. Now, if you remember, I did talk about this a little while back, the newer XS20 Fujifilm did increase the size of the body the hand grip portion of the battery so that they could fit the w-235 battery in it because the xs10 only took the 126s So they did do that for the XS20, but that is a camera body that better lends itself to slight size increases because it's one of their camera bodies that's in the SLR or DSLR modeling, you know, as far as form factor and all that stuff. So it made sense for them to do it on the XS20. It doesn't make sense for them to do it on the X106. Now, on a personal note with the X100 line, I recently bought the two conversion lenses for my X100V, which are the TCL-X100 Mark II and the WCL-X100 Mark II. Now, the reason why I bought the X100V was as primarily a dedicated street photography camera. And since Tina and I do often go back to the Northeast for visits with family, When I want to be as streamlined as possible, I can take my X100V and its two conversion lenses, and that will allow me to have 28 millimeters for landscapes and 50 millimeters for shooting portraits. So just to let you know, those are the two keys with those conversion lenses as they take your standard 23 millimeter which is a 35 millimeter full frame equivalent and either convert it to 28 millimeters in full frame so you get a wider field of view than the standard 35 millimeter or the 50 millimeter full frame field of view um, instead of 35 so that you can get you know get in a little tighter and get better portraits and i can report i haven't used them extensively yet but I have done some test shots with them. And both those conversion lenses seem to work very well and still render high quality images. Now, the big difference between the first generation and the second generation of these conversion lenses is the Mark II versions have a magnet in them so that when you attach them to your X100V or X100F, the camera will detect that that conversion lens is attached and it'll automatically adjust its settings to accommodate that new focal length. So, it'll modify the box outline for the optical viewfinder and all of that good stuff. And then instead of losing any of your resolution, you don't lose any of your sensor's resolution at all. You still get the full 26.1 megapixels uh, because what happens is when you put one of those lenses on, the internal software and hardware in the X100V or F will automatically upsample the images so that you still get your full. 26.1 megapixels with pretty much no loss in quality which is quite impressive so uh, I'm definitely going to enjoy getting a chance to try those out but again like I said I bought my x100v primarily as a street photography camera but when we're up north you know well, like I said when we go up north you know let's say we're going up there on a trip and I'm like you know what I don't want to drag it ton of camera gear, but I always have to have a camera with me. And I uh, also have to take a certain amount of gear for shooting YouTube videos while I'm up there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take the X100V and its two conversion lenses. I've already got a separate dedicated Pelican box that I have all of that stuff configured to fit inside. You know, it's got the pick and pluck foam and I've already got the foam cut out for the X100V. It's two conversion lenses some filters, spare Batteries, you know, all of that good stuff, as well as my various hoods and all that good stuff for the X100V. So I can have all of that in a smaller size Pelican box, which is more convenient and takes up less space in the vehicle when we're traveling up north. So that's uh, one of the main reasons why I want to do that. Again, you know, primarily street photography with that camera, but in a pinch, if I need to be able to do landscapes, I now can. And if I need to do portraits with it, I now can. Now, of course, I've done portraits portraits with it before, at its standard 35 millimeter field of view, you just have to remember to be between six and 10 feet back from your subject. um, So it doesn't distort their facial features and stuff with that field of view. And then you also have to crop in and post where if you put the 50 millimeter conversion lens on, you don't have to do all that cropping and stuff and you don't have to worry about the 35 millimeter field of view warping somebody's spatial feature. So it also comes in handy to have those conversion lenses for those factors as well. Next up, the toy camera at the heart of the analog revival. When the Holga first launched, it didn't quite capture people the way its creator had hoped, but it did spark something. The camera, which first released in 1982, was meant to be an affordable option with a plastic toy-like body. The South China Morning Post explains in the video in the article on this website, Uh, this is from Petapixel, part of its new cultured series. But users found it too rudimentary even within the amateur space. Plus, it used 120 film, while 35mm was a far more popular option. However, the Holga wasn't left to languish in photography history books, instead, gaining a following through the lamography movement. Lamography was an art style that started in Vienna in the 1990s that embraced so called imperfections in photography. Blur, light leaks, under and overexposure, and heavy vignetting were celebrated in lamography. The champions of the movement started the Lomography Company and the uh, Lomographic Society International. Boy, that's a bit of a tongue twister. Quote, emotionally, it feels more real. Maybe not visually. Visually, if you have a very clear image, of course, there are more details. But emotionally, maybe it doesn't feel quite real. Maybe with the dream and blurry image, it is actually more accurate to our memory Tatso, Lamography's head of operations in Asia, tells the South China Morning Post, quote, we don't remember things clearly. If you think about it, we remember things in a blurry way, in a dreamy way. Therein lies the appeal of Lamography. Those elements drew popularity once again in the 2000s and 2010s, as apps like Hipstamatic, and Instagram aped the look with filters that incorporated vignettes and artificial light leaks. Hipstamatic and even Instagram's original app icon further embodied the looks of what camera models like the Holga looked like. Additional vintage and wealthy style filters on smartphones and editing software, as well as apps like Hooji, continued the trend. And while the Holga isn't an instant The rise of instant cameras from companies like Fujifilm and Polaroid all tie into the Lomography renaissance. In the late 2000s, the South China Morning Post reports, Holga was selling about 200,000 units each year. And Lomography, the company, continued as well with stores all over the world and with new camera releases. Yet, some attribute the revival of analog photography and lamography as contributing to Holga's downfall. Some say Instagram's rise was to blame. Others think Kodak's filing for bankruptcy and stopped making film production was the real issue as film for the camera became more scarce. Though Kodak would eventually resume film production, and Instagram has moved away from the lamography aesthetic it boasted in its early years holga stopped production in 2015 so it's definitely a little bit interesting and you know as i've talked about before on this show film is making a comeback once again there are more and more people shooting with film all the time now for myself i have no desire to go back to shooting film i prefer the nice neat and clean orderliness of a digital camera and using memory cards, so (laughs) I had my fill of messing with uh, uh, all the the emulsions and all that stuff back when I used to shoot film. I got tired of that after a while, and I have no desire personally to go back. Trail camera proves wolves are returning to California. Stepping into the frame and staring up at the clandestine trail camera, a wolf lets out an ungodly howl as it stands in a forest between San Francisco and Los Angeles. The footage was taken on January 23rd, and the wolf belongs to the Yolomi Pack that was discovered in the summer of 2023. The pack is one of four new wolf packs discovered in California last year, according to Field and Stream. The Yolomi pack are the first wolves spotted in Southern California for 150 years after first returning to the Golden State in 2011. The video of the howling wolf, which also contains footage of the wider pack, was captured by the California Department of Fish and Wildlife, which discovered the pack in Sequoia National Forest. Quote, wolves howl as one form of communication with one another. And often howl to locate each other, writes the California Department of Fish and Wildlife on YouTube. Quote, packs aren't always together and may temporarily separate. Capturing this behavior on video is extremely rare. While wolves returning to the southwestern United States is seen as a good thing for many people, some local farmers wonder if large predators still belong in the world given the dangers they pose to cattle ranchers. Quote, you can't kill a wolf even if it kills your cattle because wolves are federally protected. William McDermott, a rancher on the Toll River Reservation in Tulare County, told The Guardian in November. So what can we do? The CDFW considers wolves to be a recovering endangered species, and they are protected under the California Endangered Species Act and the Federal Endangered Species Act. Quote, the department strives to conserve gray wolf populations for their ecological and intrinsic values, reads a statement on the CDFW site, and closely monitors our overall wolf population for conservation and research, management, and conflict mitigation. The Yolomi name derives from the Yolomi Band of the Toole River, Yokuts, Vernon, Vera, a Toll River tribal elder, explains that Yolomi translates to wolf tongue. My mother, Agnes, was the last fluent speaker of Yolomi until her passing in 2010, Vera tells the CDFW. She taught that the Yolomi were speakers of a wolf tongue. So it's definitely interesting to hear the wolves are starting to make a comeback in California. And as someone who does love animals, I am glad to hear that they're slowly recovering from the endangered species list. And hopefully they will continue to thrive. But hopefully we can also figure out a way to keep them from becoming nuisance predators for cattle ranchers, especially and wrapping up today's episode the last bit of news i have for you is for the fujifilm xf 8 16 to 55 f 2.8 lens firmware fix has arrived now last week petapixel reported that firmware version 1.30 for the xf 16 55 f 2.8 r lmwr zoom lens had been suspended due to a bug that impacted exposure accuracy At the time, Fujifilm said it was working on an emergency firmware to alleviate the issue for users who had updated to version 1.3.0 before it was pulled. The new fix arrived today in the form of version 1.3.1. Any users who had upgraded to version 1.3.0 should immediately download and install version 1.3.1, and you can find the complete installation details available on Fujifilm's support page And it'll give you all the information you need to know on how to properly install the firmware if you've never done it before. you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at ATL. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at Georgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, that's going to wrap up episode 389 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. If you're not currently a subscriber, why not? It's absolutely free. It doesn't cost you anything but a moment of your time to smash that subscribe button. Do it now, please, so you don't miss any of my future episodes going forward. And also share the show out with your friends and family on social media and elsewhere and help get the word out about the show. That would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Now, also, please stop by the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, and turn on all notifications so you'll be notified when my new videos release. I do put out new long-form videos weekly, and I do frequently put out YouTube shorts as well, so you don't want to miss any of that information or any of those videos. So go ahead and get subscribed to the YouTube channel. As well. Now, I will be doing another contest in the near future. I haven't decided yet when it's going to start or what the prize is going to be, but we will be starting a new contest at some point in the very near future, and you're going to want to make sure you get in on that. So, definitely make sure you subscribe to both this show and the YouTube channel, and have those notifications turned on. Now, I am also working on getting Dave Kelly back on the show. He was on a while back with Ellie Cad, as you can remember, and. And he does some amazing photography, and it would be a lot of fun to have him on the show again to talk about what he's been working on since the last time he was here. And also talk about the fact that he officiated Ellie and Dan's wedding, which is totally cool. All right, that's going to wrap up today's episode. I will see you all again next Thursday.